Good morning, church family. Today we'll be reading Psalms chapter 89, verses 1 through 2. I will sing, I will sing the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you established your faithfulness in heaven itself. Good morning and happy Sabbath. Um, Today our Old Testament reading is found in Isaiah 59, verse 20 and 21. The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. The New Testament lesson is found in the Pew Bible on page 1046, Romans 11, 17 to 36. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. But if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, How much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not think you are superior. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion, He will turn godlessness away from Jacob, and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake, but as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Just as you, who were at one time disobedient to God, have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. 
Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out! Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let me tell you, as I'm with you this morning, it's a real joy to be back with you again. I was telling Eric that every time I come, I feel like I'm back home again. And thank you so much for making me feel that way. Although, I must admit, as I look around this morning, I'm pretty excited because in the interim since I've been gone, which has been quite a while, um, your family has grown. And there's lots of new faces, and that's the exciting and helpful thing about a church family. And so I'm happy for you this morning. We, uh, my wife and I, and those in the office that I work with live a, a, a wonderful and charmed life in some ways. We get to share things that are on our hearts from week to week and even during the day and help people with difficult times and over the thresholds of, of challenging times, and um, it's a real blessing. You might wonder a little bit, well, what does he do um, then if he's doing those kind of things? During the week, I spend my times uh, in the Office of Plan Giving and Trust Services at the conference office. And um, I must admit that once in a while I say to the Lord, Lord, no more deaths, please. <laughs> I've had enough. I can't wait till you come again and that'll be banished. It'll never happen again because we make so many friends and so many people that we learn to love so much. And when they pass on, it's a terrible loss, not only for their families, but even for us in the office. I mean, we just, we miss them. We don't have them to chat with anymore and, and, to, uh, and to work with on a daily basis. But, you know, I found that even in the down times, the difficult times, and the challenges, God uses our office to be able to bless individuals in ways that are significant and helpful. I've come to the conclusion that one of the kindest and more loving things you can do for your family is to plan ahead of time and have a will or a trust, if needed, in place because that makes things so infinitely more easy and, and uh, less pain for individuals at a time that's filled with pain anyway. And so uh, one of the things that we do in our office is to try to make that available to individuals of the church who have not um, formulated a will or a trust. We're glad to be available to help you at that with that at no uh, cost. And um, we also have many, many other things that we provide for those who want to do good estate planning. And one of the things I brought along with me today and put in your <laughs> bulletins is a, um, one of our newsletters. We now are sending out newsletters to each of the constituents in the conference. Some of you open it up and say, oh, I got that in the mail. I've already seen it. But if you haven't, uh, take a look at it because it has a lot of articles that are helpful 
helpful to individuals in, uh, in the time of life that they're wanting to do this kind of planning. Um, we also do seminars. Now we're doing three a year right next to the conference office in Shoal Canyon Estates. They've opened up and put on a great brunch in, in the mornings and stuff like that. So if you want to learn more, be sure and uh, take the information I shared with you this morning and uh, read it and uh, see if there isn't something in there is, uh, that is helpful to you. Also inside you'll find a little yellow slip. If you would like to talk to me or either of the two other individuals in our office about estate planning, of tr trusts, wills, uh, and all the other things that are available, just um, jot your name and a phone number and address down on that. Whoa, watch what I did. And, um, and be sure and hand it to me uh, this morning. And if you haven't gotten a chance to fill it out by the time you leave, I'm still available during potluck and be glad to answer questions for you. And also, um, it does have the ability to be mailed in if you want to chat with hubby or wife or something like that and mail it in later. Um, we'll be happy to, to do that. I wanted to share that with you this morning because it's something that I really have on my heart and I really think it's valuable to each of our members and, and hopefully it'll be a valuable, valuable for you too. I uh, came this morning and wanted to share you, with you something from the Bible. I kind of feel that in the Office of Planned Giving, often we can put together a whole sermon that talks about what we do and, and makes it, uh, makes it uh, real for you. And yet, I kind of feel that you came here this morning to hear about Jesus, right? <laughs> And so I want to share that with you. And I've had uh, something that I've been experiencing the last few little time that I'd like to share with you, and I think you'll find valuable too. But I'd like to invite the Holy Spirit to be with us this morning. So if you would um, just bow your head with me, then um, I'd like to pray. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, um, you've given us scripture to give us great guidance. And we want to thank you for that. And this morning I'd like to share something that you shared with me that I think is unbelievable and wonderful. And so I feel like I can't do that adequately without your presence. And I'd like to um, ask for you to send your Holy Spirit and give us the gifts of tongues, that what is said might be those words from, your, from you, and that what is heard might be also the words from you. And may we receive a blessing that changes our lives and at the same time provides us something to share with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to be able to um, do some evangelistic meetings in Russia. If any of you have been to Russia, you've probably seen one of these already before. In fact, if you've been to the mall, you've probably seen one of these before. 
If you walk by little carts with goodies in it, it probably had one of these before. Can anybody tell me what this is called? No. Starts with an M. It's called a Matryoshka doll. I, uh, I was in the city of Razan, and we found this lady that had these Matryoshka dolls, and she made them at home and did it all hand-painted. They're kind of pretty. I opted for the little girl, though I could have had one with Gorbachev on it. I even could have got Ronald Reagan or something like that. Boy, they are enterprising and do a beautiful job on that. The reason I brought this this morning is that when you rattle it, it makes a sound. Can you hear it? For a reason. If you take Matryoshka by the head and give her a little twist, she uh, has something inside. And um, it's kind of cool because if you put the second Matryoshka to the uh, test, you find <laughs> there's another Matryoshka inside. And if you try the little one, you find another one inside. All sorts of surprises in here. I don't know how far you can go with this, because it's been a long time I've, since I opened this, to see what is inside. Uh-oh, head come off of one and left the body of another one stuck inside. Well, we'll leave it that way. But we do know that this little one is a cutie. But I think there's something else inside. <laughs> Certainly this is the last one, I think. Well, no. <laughs> How little could they possibly get? <laughs> the last one inside must look like a seed or something like that. I don't remember. Oh, look at that. There is a Matryoshka in there. Can't see much of it. You know, the reason why I wanted to show you this doll, and I'll leave it till later to try to put it back together again. Might need your help. Um, is that scripture is kind of like a Matryoshka. It's an amazing thing. If you open up scripture and start reading and actually don't stop at a verse or two, begin to follow it through, it's, it continues to have little gems over and over and over again. You can see the big picture, but not only in the big picture you see beauty, but in the smaller picture and the smaller one too. It's kind of like a pomegranate. Every time you pull a layer back, there's another surprise underneath. So I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Romans, if you would. In, in my church family... I've been studying the book of Romans with them week in and week out, and I'm not going to try in any way to, to get through the whole book of Romans with you. I haven't gotten with them in, in several weeks, and I'm only on chapter 11. But I find Romans to be the most personally exciting book I've ever read through. And the interesting thing about Romans is that it is very balanced, and you don't think of it that way. In fact, there are some that talk about Paul's writings, talking about grace and salvation by 
Christ's righteousness, not your own, as, as a cheap grace. But let me tell you, there was nothing that could have been paid that was more valuable than the death of our Lord, Savior, and Creator, Jesus Christ. So there's nothing cheap about it at all. And some people would avoid it because they think it's slanted too much to grace. But when you actually read the book, you find that it's extremely, extremely balanced. And, and Paul doesn't miss anything. And the quest is so real to today, it's amazing. Let me just catch you up a little bit, because without knowing what comes first, the part I want to share with you is not going to be as full and as easily understood. When we start out, Paul is speaking to Christians in Rome. The interesting thing is, the Jews have been dispersed all over the place, so many of the Christians in Rome are of Jewish lineage. And they come with that background. That's understandable. Paul himself was a Jew, and, um, and so he found it easy to communicate with that particular group. And then there were those who were not Jews, who were called Gentiles, not because there is a a country called Gentile, (laughs) but because Jews referred to anyone who was not Jewish as a Gentile. So it became a kind of a a generic kind of way of, of, of describing all the other people but the Jewish individuals in the congregation. And um, what we find at the beginning of the book is Paul's talking to largely Jewish individuals, but he's also including the Gentiles in the conversation. But he begins to trace back some of the history, and it's really disappointing. And through chapter 1, he begins to talk about the fact that God tried his best with the special people, the Jewish individuals, and yet they sunk to all sorts of depravity and went off to other gods and all sorts of things. And he begins to point, paint a really dismal picture of the whole thing. By chapter 2, he turns it around a little bit. He talks about how short the Jews came with, with their relationship with God. But then he also said they'd been tremendously ad- advantaged. They'd had God right there. God had walked with them through the wilderness. He had provided um, a fire by night to light it up and keep them warm, and a cloud by night to keep them cool. He'd even fed them on Sabbath mornings. You had to pick it up ahead of time. And it was called manna. God had taken care of his people, tremendous advantages. He taught, taught them all about himself. And then in chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 3, he goes on to talk about that, But then he begins to describe the reality that Jews and Gentiles, everyone that made up the congregation, had come short of the glory of God. God had done his best, but the holy life had fallen short for everyone. And God needed to do something really, really drastic. In chapter 4, he talks about the entering wedge, having faith in God. 
and he goes back into Old Testament times and he dredges up David as our, as our, um, our lesson study shared this morning. And he shared how David was such a man of faith. And the thing that excites me about David is he was so human. He was so much struggling with the same stuff that you and I struggle with every day. And he was so human, and yet his faith walk with Jesus and with God was such a special experience that he became loved in a very special way by God. And then he uses the illustration not only of David's faith, but of Abraham's faith. And he said it was faith in that Abraham experienced that had made him a step ahead of all those people who had tried to somehow find their salvation in God by being holy and trying to do it themselves. When they got frustrated with trying to impress God, their creator, they made up other gods and impressed them because it was frustrating. They never could seem to really pull it off. In chapter 5, oh, chapter 5 is a fantastic chapter. In that, God begins to outline through Paul his whole gift of salvation to his son. How he came and lived the life that Adam should have lived. You and me should have lived. And he lived that life and he became a conqueror. He was victorious. He did not sin, but he accepted the penalty for our sins, and he died in our place. Chapter 5, I think, is the most liberating chapter in all the, the book, because it describes for us that what we couldn't do, Jesus Christ did for us. When we should have died the death we deserved, Jesus Christ died for us and did it for us so we didn't have to die, so we didn't have to be eternally separated for him. Isn't that good news? You and I have salvation through Jesus Christ. His righteousness, his robe of righteousness, as described in Revelation, will be the robe that we wear when we're presented to God. And God sees him, not us. (laughs) He sees his son's robe, and you are acceptable to God. More than acceptable, you're welcome home. There's a banquet set for you. It's going to be fantastic. I can't wait. It's going to be fantastic. And so, chapter 5, we find this whole new paradigm for the Jews. Can you imagine sitting there listening to Paul describing this and going, I never heard this before. This is totally different than anything I've ever experienced. You mean all those things I've tried to do to become holy, knowing I'm frustrated, is not what God's asking out of me? He's simply asking me to accept the gift of his life that he's given for me, to believe in him and walk forward with him in life, that's all God's asking? I think I can do it. In fact, it was so simple 
and so clear and so easy that we've stumbled over it for generations. (laughs) It can't be that easy. It can't be achievable like that. I must have to do something. But then Paul goes on, and he begins to describe something. But before I go on, I want to show you something that is one of those gems that's hidden there. Look in chapter 5, the very first verse. If you take nothing home with you today, then what I have to share with you, it would have been all worth it. When I discovered this, it was fantastic. Let me tell you a little bit. I was raised at Seventh-day Adventist. Bunny knows my parents. <laughs> and, um, and we grew up in a church that I think it's safe to say was filled with people who really wanted to do right for God. I think that that is very true. We worked so hard, as I remember, to be good enough for God that many young people my age were tremendously frustrated and eventually came to the place where they felt it just wasn't for them. They couldn't ever do it. And this verse is answering the challenge that we had as young people there. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have what? We have peace. Does it mean that we made peace with God? Or does it mean that God made peace with us? <laughs> my most challenging times growing up, and even in my 20s and 30s, and I still every once in a while hearken back to that spirit, was that I never felt acceptable to God because I just hadn't become yet quite what I knew he wanted me to be. I've had a number of people say to me, well, pastor, I'll be back to church, but um, I kind of need to get myself together first in my spiritual life, and then I'll come back. Loved ones, for the ones that you have loved ones that are not here this morning and they're experiencing that kind of thing, you'll never get it back on that way. The reality is the only way to have peace with Jesus Christ is knowing that he's made peace with you. That he's accepted you and loved you and wants you a part of his kingdom and he's not looking for you to be good enough for him. He simply wants you to come to him and have faith in his ability to change you and make you everything that you could be. He doesn't expect you to do it on your own. If you could, let me tell you the reality. In the big picture, where Satan claims that God's not worthy of being sovereign, he's made things too hard or too difficult or whatever, all the other things that he said, and all the universe is saying, I don't know, is God worthy to be a sovereign? The answer is, when he has saved us as a wretch, we are the example that shows him as being truly worthy of being our sovereign. The more he is glorified by changing us, 
the better he is looked to all the universe. And if we were perfect to start out with, he wouldn't have much of a task, would he? And so when we try to do it ourselves and exclude God from the experience in reality, we do the devil's work. We say to everyone else, I can do it myself and I don't need God. You probably have never said that. But the reality is salvation by works would be an affront to the universe who sees a God who is desiring to do it for us. Man, that's good news for me. The only way I could ever have peace with God in my relationship was for me to understand that God loved me enough to do what I could not do so that I could be a part of the kingdom that he wanted so badly for me to be a part of, and I want to be there too. And when you see that God has done it, then you are at peace with God. You can live every day saying, I know I'm not perfect and there's a bunch more to learn, and I know that God wants to grow, but he loves me and he's provided me salvation, and through his merit, I am going to be in the heavenly kingdom. Good news, isn't it? And so you can live in peace. He wanted us to live in peace. Not always wondering all the time, am I going to have a place or not? And that was one of my own personal challenges as a young person growing up in the church as I felt like I was being taught, don't ever say you're going to be saved. (laughs) Don't assume that. You have to wait till that morning when the sun, when the when when Christ comes again and you can look at the light, then you'll know you're okay. I think God wants us to have the peace of a relationship with Him here and now, to trust Him, to have faith in Him, and that's what it's all about. I'm sorry, I got sidetracked on this little gem. Then Paul talks about um, something that is really interesting. Because he points this beautiful picture of the reality of salvation coming from Jesus, not us. And he gives us the freedom and the peace to live in a relationship based on what he has done. But he doesn't let us off the hook 100%. He talks about the reality that now that we're born again, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Redeemer, we're born again, and now we have buried that old life in baptism and come up to a new life. And in this new life, he begins to talk about living in the positive. You're no longer controlled by evil. You're no longer, it's no longer your master and stuff like that. Be positive, think positive, live positive. And he begins to describe this whole adventure here. And then it's really interesting to me that when you look over here, and well, let's look just briefly. In chapter 6, verse 22, he describes it as this. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification or growing in, in God or in Christ. And 
the outcome will be eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, when you see this all in its context, you begin to see how balanced it is and how it all fits together. He says, now you belong to Jesus. Participate in the experience of the Holy Spirit. Allow him into your life. Let him control you. Have faith in Jesus, and he's going to make you a different person. He's going to change you. And he has done that over and over and over again. I wish I had the time to tell you all the people that I've seen God change and make different people. And then he goes on in chapter 7 to talk about deliverance through Christ Jesus and how there's no condemning spirit from God aimed at us anymore. Look at this. No condemning spirit. Chapter 8, verse 1. This is good news. There is therefore now no, what is it? No condemnation. God's not mad at you. God's not condemning you. God's not up there saying, I'm going to figure out some way to keep him out of the heavenly kingdom. That's as far as reality, in reality, as far as could be from what God is doing. God is working in every aspect of our lives, every moment of the day, to bring us to salvation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Fantastic, peace-giving, liberating joy in life. Then in chapter 8, he goes on to talk about it will create within you a new mindset. Look at verse 6 in Romans 8. He says... For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. And so in this chapter 8, Paul goes on about saying, look, now that you belong to Jesus, now that you're no longer a slave to sin, now that you can see things in a positive way, set your mind on those things that are good. Set your mind on all things that are in Christ Jesus. Turn on the religious radio station. (laughs) Listen to some good music. Get into the Bible. Associate with Christians. And then share your faith with those who are hurting. And, And grow in your mindset set on Jesus Christ. Fantastic thing. And then... 9, he goes on to talk about choosing God. And 10, he goes on talking about um, righteousness of the law and how in reality the law still has its application, not for salvation, but for guidance in life. But it's chapter 11 that I wanted to share with you something 
closing today. This will bind it all up, kind of. Although there's more to be, five more vet chapters in Roman to be discovered still. Paul starts talking about trees. <laughs> you think, trees? Well, actually, it makes sense. Because it was a, an agrarian nation. All the nations had to have food. And they were looking all the time at every potential for maximizing food to make it through the droughts and the famines and things like that. So trees became a big issue. And when you look through Scripture, you see lots of illustrations. Jesus walk along, sees a beautiful fig tree, but with no figs on it. That's a disappointment. <laughs> and he uses it as an illustration. Paul here talks about being able to grow and develop trees. In the church that I grew up in Pomona, we had a te- at least two teachers that loved to spend at least one recess with us teaching us gardening. And we raised radishes and we raised onions and carrots were a little slow for us, but we got some little ones. Poor teacher, because the thing that grew the best were these big, white-based onions. And those grew the fastest, so during the recess, when they were big enough, we'd pull them up, wash them off, and eat them during recess. Poor teacher. (laughs) A whole class full of onion breath kids. But she showed us how to graft. How many of you have ever done any grafting or seen it done? I know that in my front yard, there are roses that have been grafted. And I've let them fall down on the ground when I clip the dead buds. And some of them have taken root and seed, and they came up as... I guess you call them wild roses. They don't look like the rose that they came from because the branches had been grafted in of a different variety. And this illustration is what Paul is using here. Um, Look with me uh, on verse 17, if you would. Just a little background here. He uses this illustration as... They're cultivated trees, and then there's wild trees. And he's speaking of an olive tree in this instance. I don't know if you've done something as ridiculous as I did. I walked up to an olive, one, olive tree one time, and the olives were actually starting to turn and getting wrinkly, so I thought they were ready to eat. I popped it into my mouth, knowing there was a seed in there, and promptly it left my mouth. Because I found out it takes a whole lot of preparation after it grows on a tree to make an olive taste good. And and but here he's describing cultivated olive trees and wild olive trees. And the cultivated olive trees he's referring to as representative of, of the Jewish part of his congregation. They're the ones that took all the had all the cultivation of God's presence. All the decades and centuries of God teaching them and developing them since he took them out of Egypt. So they were cultivated. And then he talks about the wild trees, the olive trees, more like the Gentiles, the rest of us. And um, 
And if you look at the difference, they grow differently. I know that my trees that are roses that haven't been grafted, that came up on their own, they don't grow the same. They do their own thing. And so Paul uses this illustration. Verse 17, he said, and he goes talking about, you know, cutting branches off, putting new branches in, etc., etc. He talks about, you know, what's going to happen to the Jews? Are they going to be completely left out of the situation? And then he says in verse 17, but if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will then say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. I never saw that before, and it never hit me. Those who rebelled so long ago on the family tree, the big one of all the creation, those who were from the cultivated tree that grew up there, and they rebelled and left and are lost in that rebellion made room for you and me. They made room for you and me. It's because of that that we have a place on that tree. Now, it's no merit to us, and it's a tragedy for those who rebelled. Paul goes on to say, if a uh, person from the cultivated tree rebels and falls off, but later in life comes to see Jesus Christ and what he's done for him, they can be regrafted in. And they're natural there. They grow there easily because that was their natural habitat. But we must be thankful every day that the tree had room for us and that we're a part of it. The fantastic thing is that all the way through, room has been made for you and you and you and you and you and me on God's great tree of grace. And everything has been done. Everything continues to be done for us so that we might experience eternal life and be there together. You want to be there? I want to be there. Let me tell you, Jesus and God wants you to be there even more than we do. Let's do something fun when we get there. Let's pray. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you for everything you've done for us. Thank you for making room for us. Thank you for making us a part of your family and giving us a place in eternity. Give us that mindset 
Grow us in the freedom of peace. Help us to daily have faith in you. And give us the opportunity to share the great joy and life that you create for us. But most of all, dear Lord, we thank you for holding on to us until you come again. We look forward to that in Jesus' name. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.